spiritual warfare, and the devil. The Bible says of the devil that we are not unaware of his schemes, but today, for a variety of reasons we have, become increasingly unaware of how the devil affects our world and our lives. So to take up spiritual warfare, let's do it under three headings. Know your enemy, know his schemes, know how to stand firm. But let's begin with why we need to talk about spiritual warfare in the first place. For at least three reasons. First, because the Bible speaks repeatedly about the reality of the devil and demons and how they affect our world. If you think intelligent people don't believe in the devil, Jesus did. Followers of Jesus need to know about the devil because our Lord talked about him more than anyone else in the Bible. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. And in the temptations of Christ in the wilderness, the devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of this world as though they are his to give. The Apostle Paul reminds his readers, you once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Elsewhere, he adds, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. At the same time, Paul makes it clear the devil can still affect those who belong to Christ. It's to the church that Paul exhorts, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He cautions against giving the devil a foothold in our lives. John says flatly, the whole world is under control of the evil one. This is shocking language, and that's a second reason we need to talk about this, because the effects of the devil, his toll on human lives, is incalculable, global, and devastating. To capture the urgency, the biblical writers employ imagery from the realm of warfare to help us see that we are engaged in an ongoing battle. We are at war There is a real, albeit invisible, spiritual war going on in our world, in our communities, and in our hearts. If that's true, that we're living during wartime, that we're walking through an active battle zone with no neutral ground, then for our own welfare, our own sanity, our own mental health, we need to wake up and be aware of this present danger. No one needs to tell us that conflict and turmoil are part of our lives, But we need to be reminded that our conflicts are never just with one another. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul writes, reminding us that behind the scenes there is an invisible spiritual battle going on, playing out behind our current events. And that's the third reason that we need to talk about spiritual warfare is we don't realize how much our secular mindset pervades our culture, our churches, and indeed our own hearts. And by secular, I mean a mindset, a way of looking at the world that totally screens out uh, the the supernatural or or the disenchanted. Uh, We just don't realize what a disenchanted world we've come to inhabit. Uh, talk of the devil can come across today as a superstitious, uh, antiquated, but it's thoroughly biblical. And it's important that we realize how much of our worldview is Western and secular and 
how little of it is biblical and Christ-centered. Or to put it bluntly, maybe we feel like life is an ongoing battle just to stay faithful to Jesus because it is. Because it is. To use the Bible's language, there are powers at work in this world affecting us far more than we've realized. First, know your enemy. It bears repeating, for Jesus, there is a devil, and he has an army, a legion of demons who work with him. His goal is to tear down God's reputation and everything good in this world. He goes by different names. Scripture calls him Satan, the evil one, the ruler of this world. But he's not simply a character in the Bible. He is a real and cunning source of evil. Uh, The devil is an immaterial but real intelligence at work in the world with more power or influence than any other creature except Jesus. Satan is not merely a personification of impersonal forces, David Pallison writes. Evil comes in a person. The devil is a purposeful, intelligent, malevolent, personal agent behind the webs of deception spun by individuals and ideologies, he writes, a liar is at work. Pallison's definition helps us see that the devil's influence is not just personal, that his influence extends to institutions. What you're up against, writes uh, Stanley Hauerwas, is not simply your personal faults and failures, but what the Bible calls principalities and powers. Hauerwas is reminding us that evil is large, cosmic, organized, subtle, pervasive, and real. Once you begin to think about this, it's kind of uh, staggering, but the punchline needs to be remembered. Satan is real and his influence is pervasive. More than 60 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We live on a battlefield. God and the devil are not equals like light and dark, battling it out for supremacy. Satan is a defeated foe. Scholars have often turned to D-Day and World War II to illustrate that Hitler's back was broken, 1944, victory assured at Normandy Beach, but it would take another year before the formal war was ended. One of the most important verses in the Bible for understanding this is 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Speaking of Jesus, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Jesus is reigning. All authority in heaven and earth has already been given to him, and yet his enemies continue to fight. It's frightening. That's why one of the most important verses in the Bible is 1 John 4, 4. Little children... Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But please notice, John does not say greater are we, but greater is he. It must be emphasized the devil is more powerful than any one of us, but God is more powerful still. Take note, Paul does not exhort us to stand firm in our own strength, but to stand firm in the Lord and the strength of his might. One reason the devil wields such power in our lives is that many of us make far too little of our adversary's influence. It's precisely from this slavery to the dominion of darkness Christ has set us free. 
And yet we must wake up. The devil is real. He is powerful. But thanks be to God that our God is always more powerful. Yet to resist him, we must know his schemes. Know his schemes. Jesus says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our joy, our confidence, our assurance, and hope. And he wants to kill, not just in the sense that he brings death, but he wants to kill our relationships, our communities, our churches. He even wants to kill our desire to live. And he wants to destroy. To destroy is the opposite of to create. He wants to tear down, undo, unmake, sully anything that is good. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy lives. Which is why Jesus goes on to say, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The devil tempts us and the devil accuses us. Yet the primary way the devil works in our lives is through deceiving us. Jesus says of the devil, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus continues, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Deception is the devil's essential strategy. And I think for many of us, this is very different from what most of us think of when we hear spiritual warfare. And yet the devil's main method is much more mundane and subtle. His go-to strategy is deception. Put it this way, if Jesus tells us the truth about reality, lies, you could define, are unreality. Lies are distortions. And these distortions are not just interpersonal peccadilloes, like, did you eat that last cookie? Don't you lie to me. In fact, we can be deceived in our entire way of looking at the world, our worldview, our mental map. Our mental map, we've said, is the way we interact with the world and make judgments about what's good and valuable. It's our mindset. And our mindset can be and often is obscured. We don't see the world or others or ourselves clearly. In the Bible, once you start looking for it, you'll notice it warns us over and over again about our susceptibility to being deceived. But here's the thing about deception. By definition, you're not aware of it when you're under it. Have you considered that a lot of what we just call normal or the way things are, that many of these things might be distortions? Have you stopped to consider that our mental maps, our assumptions about reality might be, well, wrong? The devil works constantly to deceive us about how life works, and he is subtle. When the devil tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't say, hey, I got a fifth of Jack Daniels and some porn if you want to go back to my place. No, he came at her with an idea. Did God really say? And this idea was a distortion of reality. He called into question the goodness of God and the truth of God's word. It was Adam and Eve's entertaining this lie that corrupted their lives. Now, it's easy to read Genesis and think that's just an old made-up story about a talking snake. Until you stop and realize this same story plays out every day in our own lives. We too doubt God's word, and we too mistrust his goodness. In fact, you could say underneath every sin in our lives is a belief that we know better than God what will make us happy or what is good. All temptation at its root is an appeal to believe a lie. You can be as God's. As the writer David Benner put it, it's not so much that we tell lies as that we live them. We live them like 
I have to perform to be loved. That's a lie we live. That's a distortion of reality. And yet it's been so long grooved in our hearts that it feels true. Or I have to be low maintenance. This is what my family and even God expect of me, to be a good person. That's a lie. But before we can remember, we made these sorts of agreements to protect ourselves and carve out, carve out for ourselves the safety, security, and acceptance that we craved. The Bible's word for these agreements is strongholds, and we are told that we have divine power to demolish these strongholds and take every thought captive to Christ. But these distorted assumptions about reality are called strongholds because they exert such a strong hold over our very souls. The real tyrants in this world, the real agents of disinformation, are not in Russia. The real tyranny is ideological. The real danger is not in Eastern Europe. We are in bondage to lies. We know, Jesus says, the truth will set you free, but free from what? John Mark Comer answers, the devil's primary strategy to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas, the devil, that play to disordered desires, the flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society, the world. All of us, like sheep, can be led astray and deceived as to what will make for our peace. The most effective lies are those that are partially true, but just not the whole truth. And if we're going to enjoy the freedom Christ has given us, then we must learn how to stand firm against the devil's schemes. We have to know how to fight. There have been some classic books written on how to engage in spiritual warfare. But in closing, I want to direct our focus on one of the most ancient, yet still most effective methods today. Late in the 4th century, a young man named Evagrius went into Egypt to fight the devil. He went in the desert. He saw in the Psalms David, and he read in the Gospels how Jesus faced the devil in the wilderness. And he saw in David and Jesus, he saw in these biblical examples, a pattern we can still follow today to resist the devil's lies. Evagrius wrote down his strategy. It's still in print today. He called it talking back. It's simple, but it's not easy. It requires practice and a little bit of scripture memorization. You might know that today one of the most effective treatments for treating anxiety and depression is known as cognitive behavioral therapy. It's celebrated everywhere today. The core of the method is to help patients recognize and correct cognitive distortions, distorted habits of thinking, and today it appears cutting edge. But the roots of that wisdom can be traced back not to modern psychology, but to Evagrius and before Evagrius, the Bible. More than two millennia before anyone had ever heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, Evagrius was telling his students about the necessity of learning to talk back to the lies. And he spelled out how to do this centuries ago. To counter the lies that we tend to live under, Evagrius counseled the method that he said Christ utilized in the desert. Notice Jesus did not engage in a dialogue. He did not try and reason with the devil. Rather, he used the truth of God's word from Scripture to talk back to the lies. Here's what it looks like for us today. When you find yourself feeling overwhelmed 
by distressing emotion or troubling thought. You train yourselves first to recognize the thought, feeling, or sensation. What's the thought, feeling, or sensation? You recognize and label it, either by writing it down or speaking it out loud. The ruminating thought, the distressing emotion, the uncomfortable physical sensation. It's important you get out of your own head, and one of the ways you do this is by pausing, being still. What's the feeling? What's the lie? Evagrius called these uh, thoughts logismoi. It's a Greek word for thought or thought pattern. These are core lies, the tapes that play in your head, recurrent narratives, mental maps you've been using to navigate your way through life. You could call them your strongholds. Now I want to stress there is a danger in using your intellect only here to bypass your heart. You must first stop and recognize and give yourself permission to feel. We talked in an earlier lesson about praying your emotions out to God. Don't skip over this. There is always pain behind these distressing thoughts and emotions. And to heal that pain, we must let ourselves feel that pain. You know, start here, recognize, label, I feel sad, I feel like a failure, I'm afraid. But then secondly, engage with the distortion or lie underneath the distressing emotion, thought, or sensation. You, you reframe. Once you become aware of what you're thinking and feeling, you begin to talk back. Yes, you're having these thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. Yes, you're having these feelings, but you're not your feelings either. These, these are lies. You have power in the Lord to stand firm against these schemes. You have agency to step back. If you're scared and your chest is tight, what are you choosing to believe? If you're angry and you feel heat, where's the distortion? If you're sad and feel a pit in your stomach, what's the thought underneath? Step back and identify. It's often an unmet need. Here are five core lies that attach to five essential human needs. I'm all alone. I'm insignificant. I'm not safe. I'm not loved. My life lacks hope. You can come up with your own list of distressing emotions or distressing thoughts that you find just tend to haunt you and steal your joy. And then third, you respond with the truth of God's Word. Okay, you write out or speak the truth of God's Word that unmasks and defangs the lie. I'm asking you to memorize a scripture verse that speaks to the particular lies that bedevil you. So then when you feel that lie or have that distressing sense, you learn to talk back. It is a long process, and it'll take years of practice. Because remember, these strongholds took years to form in your life, so it only stands to reason they will take years to break. You are learning to set your mind on things above. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But this is a process. But remember, you're not on your own. The Holy Spirit's with you. And you have a wonderful counselor, Jesus, able to sympathize with you in every situation, always on call, always ready to help, any time of day or night. And with his help, you can talk back, combat, and defeat the lie with the truth of God's word. That lie of, I'm all alone. You can talk back with the truth of Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
I will help you. That fear of, I'm insignificant, I'm not enough. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or God have mercy on me, a sinner. That lie of, I'm, I'm not safe. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The lie of, I'm not loved. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While he was yet a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Or my life lacks hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Or one of my favorites, Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Yes, learning to talk back to the devil's lies requires some scripture memory. A little can get you started. And it requires something increasingly hard to find in our busy lives, a little space to be present, aware of the cries of our own heart. But it's enormously liberating to realize you are not stuck, you don't have to brood or ruminate, you can change the channel, and you can talk back. Start by identifying three to five core lies or distressing emotions that just bedevil you. And then you pick out five scripture verses. You know, the Bible says that David used five smooth stones to slay his enemy. You too can pick out five smooth stones, scripture verses, to talk back to these distressing emotions or core lies that you have to combat. This is a most practical way to take up the armor of God in all circumstances. And as the Bible says, to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In conclusion, if the devil's main weapon is deception, it stands to reason the main way we would stand firm in the Lord is to talk back to the devil's lies with the truth of God's word. So simple and so profound. Even non-Christians without God's spirit have the ability to recognize and untangle themselves from distressing emotions, not to be hijacked by them. But you and I, we have the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, who empowers us in this exercise of talking back. We can engage with confidence, knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. So in his name, calling on Jesus' name, standing under his authority, we can renounce the devil's lies because the Bible tells us, quote, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, close quote. So remember, you're at war, but also remember that in Christ we are more than conquerors. Okay, see you next week.